button. Here we go. Well, last week we got into Christ as the covenant. And we're going to continue with that thought. And we read a little bit this morning, and uh, I'm not going to read all the scriptures we did this morning. We read them last week, and I sent them to you by uh, email if you want to go back through it. But I'm going to mention them to you from Exodus 19 through chapter 24 is the covenant of God, the first covenant, or the covenant of Moses, what we what we predominantly know as the covenant of God with the Israelites. The, you could probably say the first covenant with the nation of Israel. And you find that in Exodus 19 through Exodus 24, where the overview at least is laid out. Now, we, you know, more unfolds in that. It's kind of like uh, Brother Mark and I were talking about the unfolding of the day. More unfolds. It doesn't stop there. It kind of starts there. Doesn't stop there. Really started back in Egypt. Really started back with Abraham, to be truthful, and, and God bringing the people out to himself out of Abraham. But here you have a covenant, and the covenant's sealed with blood, and a word is given by God to the children of Israel. And they are going to live unto God according to a word. And if God's people would just hear that right there, that God has a word, even in the old covenant, and that word is how we live unto God, or they lived unto God. And that was the way it was. Now, coming forward to the new covenant, the word we live unto God in is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the word we live unto God in. And if we would hear that and understand that, that he fulfilled all the old covenant. He said, I haven't come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. So everything there spoke of him. And now he's the word of covenant. He's the covenant with God. And we live unto God in, through, and by him. And just to refresh our minds for a moment, Isaiah 42. We'll start there. Isaiah 42. Bible says, verse 1, Behold my servant whom I am uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delight. If I have put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. 
He shall, shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. And mark that, wait for his law. Will Lord willing get into that one night? Probably not tonight, but just mark it. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth, and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thy hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, or I am Jehovah, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise from the end of the earth, ye that go down to the sea, and all that is therein the isles and the inhabitants thereof, let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice. The villages that Kadar doth inhabited, let the inhabitants of the rock sing, let them shout from the top of the mountains, let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. So here we go. I will give thee for a covenant. Here's what God has given. So, so you could take all the scriptures in the Old Testament that speaks of a new covenant coming, at least I believe in my heart, and you can sum them up right here. In, I will give thee for a covenant. And Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 42. And then when you get into the rest of Isaiah 42, a new thing do I declare. I tell you about it before it comes. See, the new thing that was coming was Christ. The covenant of the Lord in Christ. That was the new thing that was coming. And, and I said this last week, you hear preachers saying things like, God is going to do a new thing, or God is going to do a short work and end it in righteousness. And I want to say, honey, the new thing and the short work that God was going to do is what he did in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is what Isaiah 42 is declaring. Before it spring forth, you could even say before the resurrection, I tell you, before it come upon the earth, I tell you. So God's declaring in the scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is so bold. He says, search the scripture to the Jews in John 5, recording John 5. He says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life. So they think, thought they were living unto God by the keeping of the commandments. But Jesus said, these are they that testify of me. And you would not come to me that you might have life. 
So you search the scripture and in them you think you have a lie. But these testify me. So when I look at a new thing that God's going to do a new thing, who I'm looking for then is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm looking at to find all the scripture defined by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the definition of everything in the Bible. All things made by him without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men. So we, we come to this and we look here at this new covenant coming in the person of Christ and in Luke's gospel. And I believe we read this last week too, but that's okay. We'll read it again tonight. And then we're going to move on. Luke twenty two fourteen 14 says, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover, Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I shall not eat it until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he received a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say unto you, I shall not drink from henceforth of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And the cup in like manner after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, even that which is poured out for you. The new covenant in his blood. When Moses had read the covenant, read the law, he took the blood and he sprinkled the tabernacle. He sprinkled the instruments. And he sprinkled the people. They were joined to the blood of animals. So for that period of time, if any infraction of that law came forth in Jerusalem or with the Israelites, even before they got to Jerusalem, they had to measure out what was required in the animal sacrifice under the law? Jesus took a cup and he shared it with his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I don't know that Christians understand what a big deal this word right here is. Because we're joined to the Lord through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we're joined to the Lord. In John 15, I'm going to read this later, but I'm not now. John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it. That means cleanseth it. Brings it to a state of perfection. He purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. He keeps pruning it, purging that it would come, that fruit would come forth. Now you are clean 
through the word which I've spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. Let's stop there for a moment. Jesus said all these words he said upon the earth. But had he not died and rose again, this is at least what I believe, his words would not have went in force. They would have been spoken. He would have had done great acts. But what put his words in force was his death, burial, and resurrection. This is the covenant in my blood. So he says, you're clean through the words I've said. So the words he said has more weight than the words of Moses. Hear me again. The words he said has more weight than the words of Moses. But had he not died and shed his blood and raised from the dead, then those words would not be the covenant word of God because God sealed the covenant with blood. And what's unique in this covenant is the one that shed the blood, raised from the dead, and is the mediator of the covenant. So he doesn't have a go-between with Moses here. He himself purged their sins and raised from the dead and mediates his own covenant. So he says here, he says that we are clean through the words, the word which I've spoken to you. Now, to me, that's a very powerful thing. I'm pure. The word clean there means pure. I'm made pure through the word which is spoken unto us by the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them up and cast them into the fire, and they are burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done to you. Here in is my father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the father have loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love have no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servant. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. That's, 
this is such a powerful set of scripture. All things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. You are pure through the words I've spoken to you. Abide in me. And my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will. Look at this here. If you abide, stay, remain in my words, in my rhema. And, and those words are interchanged in here, rhema and logos. As you go through this, you can find them both. But if you abide in me and my word abides in you. So it's very important for the church to understand his word. Very important. Not to be taken lightly, right? So when I say this, I want to get a couple things out of my mouth. I took notes on them before I get carried away and don't get them said. The notes I took this morning as I was getting ready, this is what just kind of come in my heart. The word of life is all realized in a person. So all these words Jesus said are realized in his person. I can read these words and try to you know, get it. But they're realized in him. That's where they're all realized. Being pure unto God is realized in the person of Jesus Christ. And everything Jesus said, I believe, is in Paul's writings. When you go through the, the epistles of Paul, and he's talking about the fullness of God in Christ. Jesus declared over and over in his word, the Father in me doeth the works. At that day, you'll know I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and I'm in you. So, so Paul's just expounding, I believe. He has a revelation of the word of Christ, the words of Christ. Christ defines his own words, if we can hear that. So the words of Christ are defined by the word who is Christ. He defines his own word. And Paul's expounding on that as he's revealed. That's what Paul's doing. That's what John's doing. That's what the apostles are doing. They're expounding on that that's revealed in their heart of the living word of God that was made flesh and dwelt among them and is made real unto us through their word. Why is it through their word? Because they're declaring his word. They're declaring that that they have seen, that that they've heard. And see, this is in John 17, where Jesus said that you'll declare my word. And it's back in Isaiah. I think Isaiah, maybe 53, 57, 59, somewhere around there, that, that it was unto the seed and to the seed, seed, and the seed, seed, seed. So that word of covenant keeps moving in a people 
because the word of covenant is Christ. And, and just like Jesus said, if they receive you, they receive me. If they receive me, they receive him that sent me because God has now tabernacled in a body and Jesus is saying to abide in my word, glory to God. And so as we understand and see this word, that's what we move into and abide in, live in, think upon. Just like, just like we read in the Old Covenant, they were to think and meditate upon that word, that it would be what in the frontlets. That's what we're doing. We're meditating and we're thinking upon the word of life that we have handled. That was with the Father and was manifest in Christ in the earth and is made known in our hearts through the coming of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah to the Lamb of the living God. And you might say, well, how do I abide in his word? There's two, two things I want to get to tonight, and I have to rein myself back in to get there. How do I abide in his word? How do I abide in him? How do I do this? Well, Jesus tells us, you know, uh, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. He says in verse 56, he that eateth my flesh and drink of my blood dwell in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live by the father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven as the your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. In verse 62, if you continue down through here, he says, what? And if you see the son of man ascend up where he was before, it is the spirit that giveth life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and life. So how we, they are spirit and they are life. So how we eat his flesh and drink his blood, I believe, is as he's presented to us by the Spirit of God, like Jesus told us he would be, we receive that in our heart. Just like in the natural, we receive food in our mouth. But what we're doing here is we're receiving that of the Spirit of God as it's made real in us. We receive it in our heart. We take it unto us. We believe it. We eat his flesh, we eat what, and we drink his blood. And if I study out my Bible, and I look at this spiritually, I know he had a flesh and blood body, or I believe he did. He was the word made flesh. And all the way back in the Old Testament, it says the life of the flesh is the blood. And Jesus said his life was the spirit, was God in him. So how we eat his flesh and we drink his blood is this living word presented to us by the spirit of God, and we receive it.
We eat of him. And really, as we begin to eat of him, we turn everything else down. When somebody brings something that's contrary to him, contrary to the truth, contrary to what the Spirit of God is saying, not that we are mean or whatever, we just don't eat it. Because we eat what the Spirit of God is showing us of Christ. And that's how we abide in him. We receive it. We dwell in it. Well, how do I dwell in it? Well, I can dwell in it right here with you all. We're dwelling in it right now. But how I have to dwell in it is in my day-to-day -day living. When I interact with other people, I have to dwell in his word. You know, when people... You know, if you come to a comprehension that he's the resurrection, for example, and people come and start talking about resurrections, we remain in his word. Again, we're not mean-hearted. We're not, you know, belligerent or anything, but we continue to dwell in the truth. We don't let people overcome us with what God has shown us. And we present it to them in a loving, sincere way, but we present the truth to them. God doesn't dwell in buildings made with hands, neither is he worshiped by man's hands. So when we get in discussions about the church, when we get in discussions about the building of God, we remain in the truth of what the building of God is. Again, in a loving, kind way, we don't have to be mean about it, but we have to abide in it. We have to acknowledge the truth. We have to stand in abide. That's what he says, remain in my words. That's what Jesus says. And if you remain in my words, you shall ask what you will. And he's talking about fruit here, I believe. He says, herein is my Father glorified, so I probably should be praying and asking about the fruit of the Spirit. God, I want to glorify you and want the fruit of the Spirit to come forth out of me and be talking to God out of that. And I'm remaining in your words, and I'm expecting you to prune me that I bring forth more fruit. I'm in expectation of this because I'm living in him. I'm in expectation of peace and joy and righteousness living in me because I'm living in him. If, if I'm living in him and he is peace and joy and righteousness, then, it, then shouldn't it be in me? Should it be separate? No. It should be in me. And, it, and here comes this big thing. I wondered, wondered how to circle around to it with righteousness. Right standing with God, just pure. In the Old Testament, they came, and again, the blood was applied. The blood of the animal came, you know, was required. And in the book of Hebrews, I love the book of Hebrews. I could probably preach in the book of Hebrews the rest of my life and be happy. Hebrews and John are two of my favorite books of the Bible. In the book of Hebrews, Chapter 10, 
He says, this is the covenant, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Saith the Lord. Remember Isaiah 42 that we read. God was declaring a new thing before it sprang forth. He was telling, he was telling them, well, this is a covenant I will make after those days. This is the same new thing. I will put my laws into their heart and write it in, and in their minds that will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he have consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Look at that. Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Now, how, how did the sins and iniquities get taken away? We all should know this. Isaiah 53 tells us that he laid our sins and iniquities upon him. See, see, that's the covenant. Look at this. Look how it comes together. Thy sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Why? Because God placed them up on Jesus, and Jesus died and was buried and put away and sprung forth in newness of life. I give you for a covenant. See, here, here you go. The sins and iniquities. See, this isn't just something God said. This came to be in the person of Jesus Christ. If the person of Jesus Christ hadn't come, this would still be here, sins and iniquities, but now that I'm learning Christ, by the knowledge of him, Isaiah 53 says, I want to read it, so I don't, I want to read uh, Hebrews 9, but I also want to read in Isaiah 53, uh, just a couple verses, if you'll turn there real quick, Isaiah 53, and then we'll go to Hebrews 9. And I, and I, and I hear people kind of question this today, and I'm like, well, you can't question this. Well, you can, but you're wrong. <laughs> Surely he had borne our griefs, verse 4, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, spent of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers, he is dumb, so he opened him not his mouth. Take him from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? All those of the Lord are going to declare his generation. Those that have been raised up with him, they're going to declare his generation. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. 
he have put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days in the pleasure of the Lord, shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. So, so you and I sitting here tonight satisfy the Lord because we're the travail of his soul. You understand that? His soul travailed for you and I. He bore our sin. He bore our iniquity. Thy sins and iniquities, why I remember no more. This is why. Because upon the servant that God was declaring out of Isaiah, one was going to come forth that was going to bear the sins and the iniquities of all. That's why we eat his flesh and we drink his blood, that we understand everything that's in him. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. We see everything that's in him. Here we go, folks. And then Isaiah goes on to say, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? He shall bear their iniquities. He shall justify. My righteous servant shall justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the small with the strong because he had poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and bared the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Hallelujah. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. What do we need to know, folks, but him? What do I need to know but him? This is life eternal, Jesus said, that you might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. See, see, if I know him, he's purged my conscience from dead works. See, the blood of animals couldn't purge your conscience. One last place, Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. Verse 11. For Christ, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered him once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, cleanse, purge your conscience, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, 
they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testator is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Remember what I said early on? All the things Jesus said when he was walking the shores of Galilee went into force. There must of necessity be a death of the testator for where a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator lives. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying, this is the blood of the testament which God have enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things by the law are purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things with a better sacrifice than these. You want to know what the heavenly things are? It's you and I in Christ. And we are purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have borne the image of the earthy, you shall bear also the image of the heavenly. So we're purified not with earthly things, but we're purified with the heavenly. Christ is the mediator of this covenant. See, to not believe that he has purged me of my sins is to not believe him. I don't know if we understand how serious this is. But religion come in and robbed us of what Jesus had done. Because religion come in and perpetuated the law that every week there's a remembrance made of sins, just like the law. Where every week I can remember to a certain degree of wanting to run to the altar every week to to make sure I'm covered with the Lord, to make sure, you know, it's all right with God because I hadn't comprehended he purged me. I hadn't comprehended he justified me. I hadn't comprehended he is my purging. He is my justification. That when he poured out his blood, that was my purging. I'm justified in him. He's my life. So God's not looking at my life for justification. He's looking for his life. But what he's looking for in you and I, he tells us in John 15, if ye abide in me, you come to my understanding, you live in my word. My father's going to purge you that you bring forth more fruit that there be this continuous increase of Christ. Hallelujah to the Lamb of the living God. Yes, he's our justification. We abide in that. We don't let anything else even entertain our mind that there's another justification than that of the Lord. 
We cast down everything that comes against the knowledge of God. Many times what comes against the knowledge of God is that there's another justification. There's, there's something other than Christ. Religion, many times. We look, at, we look at a lot of these scriptures as only like sins or this, that, and the other, but a lot of times religion comes in there. Religion is the stronghold. I don't know if we see that. Religion a lot of times keeps us from moving on in the Lord. Anyway. I'll leave it right there tonight. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be with you tonight. I'm going to start with, uh, with Brother Jim Wickens.